Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you? How are you? Are you breathing? Let's all, you know what? Let's all just take a big exhale. Oh, that was an inhale. Hold on. Exhale. Ah, oh, so much better. So much better. All right, wait, let's do it one more time. Breathe in, hold for three. And then exhale. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Now that we've softened up a little bit, I'm excited about today's uh, guest. I'm excited about all the guests. I say that about all of them, but uh, I'm super excited about today's um, guest who is author Frances Trussell. She's written the book, You Are Not Your Thoughts, The Secret Magic of Mindfulness. Oh, I know, I know. There's a bunch of books out there on mindfulness, but this one is impactful. Author, uh, author Francis Francis Trussell talks about how she her she herself was at one point suicidal uh, or feeling suicidal, and what she did to pull herself back, to remove herself, to to step back from that precipice uh, and and start thriving and living an expansive life. She talks about postnatal depression. We get into her. She has a Zen master. Yeah, there's that's right. Zen masters still exist. I, I, I don't know. I thought they were just in the movies, but they're still floating around out there somewhere. Uh, and then she said uh, at some point in the, in the episode, your breakdown is the point of power. I love that. Your breakdown is your point of power. And so uh, we're going to get into that. We talk about mindful eating. Yeah, because uh, you know that's I love my cupcakes, so I definitely was super leaned in for the. Uh, and then we also talked about how to bring charisma and power into our lives. We see these people walking around with their with their chest out, shoulders back, head held high, and you know, and, and they speak and people listen. Like how did how why they got that charisma? Why they had that power? And so we talk about how to bring that into your life. And then we also get into what to do when you have racing thoughts, right? When you have that loop going, you have the ruminations taking place, and you're just fixated and obsessed over, uh, you know, the one thought or, or one point in your life. And um, and so how do we how do we handle that? How do we manage that? We get into uh, imposter syndrome, also. Yeah, some of us, you know, we we all feel that, and and how to hit the reset button. Um, you know, a lot of times we, we, we feel like we're a burden. We feel like we we're overwhelmed. How do we hit that restart button, that reset button? And so and we get into so much more, but so with that said, uh, remember go to thrivewithleo.com and, and let's turn those transitions and tragedies and traumas into your upward trajectory. With that said, let's get into the episode. How are you, Francis? I'm really good. All the better for being able to speak to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, that's that 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 uh, that European English charm and wit. Right there. <laughs> I love it. Um, I want I want to dive right into this. We're already recording. Um, I, you, you wrote a book on mindfulness. Uh, it's that's such a huge topic right now. Everybody's talking about it. Um, I want to get into your story of what led you 
to contemplating suicide and how you pulled yourself out of that? Okay. That's big. Let's dive straight in. Yeah, dive straight <laughs> in. We got, we got lives to save, the people listening in. Yeah, no messing about. Well, well, actually, I think it's more normal than people realize to actually really get into a place of despair. It's, part, it's more normal than probably most people would admit to, to have those moments where you feel like, what is the point of this? Why am I putting myself through it? And also those moments where you think maybe the world would be better off without me or I just need to press like a restart button or something. And and that's really awful when you're in that place of black and white thinking. It's just so, so horrendous. But there is another way. And that is why I'm so passionate and excited to share what I do because I know how horrendous it can be and I know that actually from the breakdown that breakthrough might be just within reach. I I, I love that and and I really want to dissect the thoughts because that's where we can really help people that's where we can we can create that space in terms of because you talked about like feeling like the world would be better off without you um and and in what way did you think that and what way did you think we'd all be better off without you like like whose 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 world or whose lives did you think would be improved well it's such a nonsense when you look at it in the cold light of day, when you speak it out, and that's why speaking it out is so valuable, so important. It's almost like as you open your mouth and those words come out, you know they're a nonsense, actually. But there is a train of thought in your head that keeps showing up, telling you the same thing. And if you believe that, if you keep getting on that train, if you keep going there then actually you get hypnotized by the sounds of those thoughts and you begin to experience a really skewed sense of reality that actually when we step back from and we have an opportunity to step back from, we can see that that's nonsense. Of course, everyone is so valuable you're, you're here because you, you're you supposed to be here. There's, there's a value to that. And sometimes being pushed to that breaking point is about being pushed to really look at what, you know, why is it you're here? What's really important? How, how can you wake up from the dream that so often is a nightmare? Yeah, you talked about when you're pushed to that breaking point. What pushed you to that breaking point? My thoughts, the nonsense of my thoughts, the critical voice, just such a strong critical voice. I seemingly had it all going on. It was all right, life. 
And actually, I felt even more guilty for feeling so terrible because it was all all right on the outside. I had a great relationship, a great career. I was putting myself under an extreme amount of, of pressure to perform on every front. And I just felt like I was constantly falling short and my inner critic would not let me off the hook. You know, I, I experienced the same things and I just realized recently, like I'm I'm currently feeling some of those feelings, not in an extreme way, but but it's definitely there of, you know, I'm, I'm taking these different online classes, Spanish, guitar, and uh, helicopter, you know, and I'm, I'm podcasting, I'm training, like I'm coach, like I'm doing all so many different things. And there's a part of me that still feels like it's not enough, like like I should be doing more. And that I'll never get to that feeling of enoughness, which on some level is, uh, I don't want to say a good thing, but an effective thing in that it's what drives us, it's what pushes us, it's what allows us to get things done and and go beyond our our boundaries and our comfort zone. But then there's a, a place beyond that comfort zone where it becomes overwhelmed and you start to feel like a burden and you start to feel like you can't. It's almost like the treadmill, there's a point where the treadmill is going too fast and then you, you fall, hit your head and slide back. And it's to find that space between, you know, uh, uh, what's good for your heart and then, you know, what's going to tap you out uh, is, is so tough. Absolutely. It's about putting your enoughness in an external location, like actually, you know, once I've done this and I can fly the helicopter and I've, you know, and and that's a wonderful part about being a human being, part of that drive. But actually, if we're expecting enoughness to kind of arrive when we get to a certain destination, simply isn't the case. And so it's about shifting that focus and, and recognizing that actually on one level, as frightening as it might sound, on this surface level, we are never going to be enough. If we're just living at this surface level and we're living through attainments and achievements, yeah, all those things are great, but actually you are never going to be enough on that level. And that is why for some of us, we get this strength of urge of there has to be more. And that's because there really is, there really is more. When we turn some of that drive into looking internally for that source of satisfaction rather than externally. And, and how do we do that? How do we, how do we look? Uh, I, actually, I want to unpack two things. Um, one is, where do you think that, that pressure came from? Like when you, st- when, you, when you did the work, was that a voice that... Was that your own voice? Was that a voice from uh, uh, subtle cues picked up from your parents or from your friends? Like, was there was there a childhood influence on that pressure that you put on yourself to keep going? I think there's always a childhood influence, and that's not necessarily a reflection even on what happens externally. It's how we're perceiving and soaking up that information. We come into the world without a map and that early map making that we do is so deeply entrenched that that's always going to be a part of us but actually I 
yeah, I don't know, this strong inner critic. I, I think even from a very small age, I have some really strange <laughs> memories of really being very low, being depressed and actually like looking for myself, like pinching myself and trying to hurt myself and like looking for myself. And I, I don't know what that was. I don't know where that came from. Uh, but seeds then can get planted, even remembering stuff like that. Like I'm a weirdo. What a weirdo I am having these weird things going on that maybe you think other people aren't. They seem to be just doing life why am I questioning everything all of the time but then the brilliant creative brain because we all have these amazing creative brains they just create in all sorts of strange ways when we don't have enough of a creative expression that is true to us and so for me I'd ended up going down a very analytical route I'd ended up going into broadcast journalism and then from there the business of media and I was pretending to be a businesswoman when <laughs> I am no businesswoman <laughs> it turns out and um I was really good at pretending because uh, I had my little acting acting face on and I was earning good cash and wearing great shoes and I kind of wanted to be doing that on one level and so much of society teaches us that you know we make it we start bringing in the cash we're going to be happy and then that voice when you're doing all those things and you're still not happy it's like well there is something seriously wrong with you absolutely it's it's so fascinating because i think that society has taught us that uh it's the arrival at our destination, that's the the best part. And and really going back to your analogy of the train going by and hypnotizing you, it's the train ride that's fun. You know, I played sports and the the fun was the 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 bus ride to the game and the bus ride away from the game. If you won, if you won, the bus bus ride both ways. Well, you know, or or if you're going on a trip, it, like the 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 fun part of the trip is the actual. Uh, the space between point A and point B. Uh, when you get there, if that's fun, that's a bonus. But it's really about the packing of the bags, getting things ready, the music you listen to, the podcast, the conversations, the things that you see, all the little pit stops and gas stations. Like all that is the fun part of the journey. And I think that uh, we lose sight about, uh, instead of asking what our goals are, it's like, how do I make this journey we, we don't think we don't put enough uh, time into thinking about the journey, the journey of life, the journey of, uh, you know, family and, and friends and work. Like, how do I make that engaging and interesting? And, and how do I allow that to give me vitality? And how do I do this mindfully? It's, a, you know, these different questions. Uh, so you talked about going in. How, how do we go in? How do we how do we go in for that that validation for the answers for the for the source of connection well for me that is an ongoing journey it's it's this process of meditation it's this process for me of changing my relationship initially changing my relationship to my thoughts was what changed everything for me 
but it's it's still an ongoing process because it's this for me meditation is absolutely essential if I didn't meditate I don't know whether I'd be here I really don't it's as serious as that for me and beginning that process is really tricky I remember a time when sitting down to meditate just the idea of sitting down for five minutes and closing my eyes was absolutely petrifying because like I didn't know what I might find in there and I I didn't necessarily want to listen to what might arise and I didn't necessarily know what I was doing but actually there was just this propulsion to to keep going to to keep looking to keep practicing and it's like it's like if you get a light like a um a flashlight you call them we call them a torch <laughs> and it's like you know it's like taking the top off your head and 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 shining this light inside and having a look and actually some of the bits and pieces, you know, you're a bit frightened of what you might find in a dusty corner or hiding, you know, but actually it's like once the light hits it and it's into the light and it's seen, its potency and its power can dissolve. And there's a humor with that. You can see things as they really are and it never fails to be fascinating. Yeah, you know what? What is your meditation practice? Yeah, I, I do twenty minutes in the morning, and then uh, occasionally at night if I if I feel like I need it. But I'm I'm, I'm working in. I'm, I want to do twenty minutes three times a day, so morning, midday, and night. But but what's your meditation practice? And and I, I guess more importantly, how did you work through those those tough first five minutes? Because <laughs> a lot of people report that like. It's so hard to sit there and have all this stuff come up. And I think that's the part of meditation nobody talks about is, uh, yes, it's peaceful once you get past the first five or 10 minutes. Some days it's 15 if you have a lot of stuff you haven't really sat with. But uh, how, how, what, were, <laughs> what made you, how did you keep coming back to that and experiencing that? I was really fortunate to have some really great teachers. I think for the first while of meditating, I would meditate and not really know what I was doing and whether I was doing it right and do a lot of kind of guided visualizations and things like this, which are lovely perhaps for relaxation. And But actually the reps, the really hard work of concentration meditation is something else altogether. And so for me, as painful as it was, I I very, very quickly, I would get glimmers of just this sensation of turning into discomfort. So suddenly a huge amount of boredom or irritation ar- would arise and it still does now, (laughs) but it would arise and I would turn into it and just have a look. And rather than thinking my way through it with the mind, but actually getting a felt sense of that in the body and actually turning into it and being with discomfort was 
strangely one of the most revelatory things because as we sit with discomfort and we recognize oh this is fear but I can be with fear boom that is so empowering what I can be with fear that there's nothing more frightening than the fear of being afraid and actually as we turn into that and turn into all sorts of rubbish that arises we become more and more empowered and and we we channel that power through everything that we're doing in our lives if we're if we're strong on going for it no matter what comes up and sitting through the practice we begin bringing with us this charisma and power into our lives as well and people notice people notice very quickly our eyes kind of have a different glow to them and people talk to us and and of course that isn't always the case because uh, me just like everyone else is a work in progress and some days I don't know what you're doing differently for me but some days I sit for 40 minutes and still 40 minutes down the line there's that chattering voice and there's the zooming of the trains and but whatever you know that's that's what's coming up and that's also holding a mirror up for me to see what is it that's going on in my life and meditation always holds that mirror up. And if we can be brave enough to look at our own reflection, quite, quite remarkable things happen. There's two things that I, I want to unpack from what you said. One is the idea that if we can turn towards the discomfort, you know, I often hear about imagining that you're in a car and that the fear is a passenger in a car with you. And you just know it's always in the car, but and sometimes it's louder, and uh, and and uh, but makes its, its presence known more than others. Sometimes it sits there quietly, and but just know that you you can turn towards it and have a conversation with it, uh, versus uh, being afraid of it and trying to kick it out the you know trying to kick it out the car, treating it like a bat that just flew into the car. It's like. No, you can sit there and have a conversation with it. It's it's fine. Um, uh, but the other thing that that you mentioned, uh, and I completely forgot uh, what I was gonna uh, what I was gonna say in terms of uh, things coming up for you, blah blah blah. Uh, I lost my train of thought. But but um, but to tie into turning into it, looking at it, having a discussion with it, um, are there things that you're saying? In terms of because because this all started with thoughts, right? We, we at the beginning you were talking about you had these thoughts and and so now you're in the car and you're with fear or you're with anxiety or you're with depression. What what's a what's a what is a healthy conversation or an effective? I don't like the word healthy. I, I've so somebody has changed my mind towards that. But what's a conversation we can have with that fear that to get that can bring it from a ten to a, a one or zero? Well, so fear is our friend in a very strange way. It's our friend. It's trying to keep us safe. But sometimes it overreacts and it tries to keep us safe. And we, we listen to that too much and we kept small, not safe, but small. And actually thanking your fear might sound so strange, but actually you know, thank you for trying to keep me safe. 
but actually what's true, what's reasonable and, and listening because, because actually a lot of fear and anxiety that's arising in the body is a message from the body that we're not getting. And all pain, all, all of these strong emotions are messengers. They're messengers and they come knocking. And what happens quite often is that we don't want to get the message. We don't want to listen. And so they knock louder and louder and louder until we do. But I think I should differentiate. So thoughts are in the head and feelings and emotions are in the body. And actually, it's really important to to look at that and to recognize that and to separate those two things out. Because when we are in the absolute depths of pain and despair, everything just gets so close that we are our thoughts, we are our feelings, and everything is just this huge muddle. And that's why this process of beginning to meditate is so useful, because as we do so, we're sitting back from the thoughts and the feelings. And even as we meditate, sometimes it's really useful when it's so busy to label those thoughts, feelings, just as they arise. And as we do so, it's like they're arising as these bubbles and we kind of pop them and see them for what they are. But actually, I would listen to your feelings a lot more than I would listen to your thoughts. Actually, the way to finding our own truth is often through our feelings. And we know this through various kind of gut instinct things. I've just moved into a new home and you know on paper it may not have seemed like the right place but you walk through the door and you get that feeling and you get that with with good friends you meet people and you click and you you get that when you fall in love and and sometimes that stuff it doesn't make logical sense and you know if we just ticked through a list it wouldn't match up to what we're looking for and yet Why is it that with the big things, like who we're going to marry, we trust our feelings? And yet with lots of the day-to-day things, we we really dismiss how we're feeling and we instead focus on those thoughts, which actually sometimes can be so unhelpful. Absolutely. You know, I think that we grew up in such a... um you know, at least for me, the messages I received were, you know, think about it. You didn't think about it or you're, 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 you know, you got to be more thoughtful or, you know, especially since, you know, we put kids in school and, and school is to teach us to think. And at no point is there a conversation in most schools. We see it changing now where uh, there are schools now that have kids hitting uh, a picture of the different emotions as they walk in through the door. Uh, so, so schools are definitely uh, incorporating more mindful practices. Uh, but for the most part, most schools, most jobs aren't, aren't concerned with how you're feeling. They, they want you to get over how you're feeling and, and think about it, wh- what you're going to do and, and then do it. So it's thinking and doing instead of feeling and being. And, uh, but fortunately, we're having more of these conversations where we're like, oh, feeling is important. You know, it, it's, 
you you want to it's okay to be uh, have emotions and to have feelings and and to express it and so that we can uh, uh, dissipate it and, and and move forward instead of being stuck. And thinking is important. Also, Absolutely. it's an incredibly useful tool. It's such a useful tool, but actually, it's so key to recognise when thinking is unhelpful and unless we give ourselves space from thought and actually allow ourselves to not think it's okay to not think also and actually we can see from the neuroscience that for a brain to be fully functional and operating at its best we need a good balance between the thinking and doing parts of the brain and the feeling and sensing parts of the brain. And if we do, it's like we come online fully functioning. And if we don't, if we get stuck in overthink and we move into rumination that starts setting off the stress reaction and creating repetitive pathways of the loop-de-loop which is what so often happens when we're in those deep states of despair and and having black and white thinking and feeling suicidal actually what what we can see is happening in the brain is that that this prefrontal cortex the new part of the brain is just coming offline because you're so pumped that you're scanning the horizon for immediate threat and someone just says uh, a little comment to you and you immediately take it as a as a threat you feel defensive you feel angry and there's all this other stuff going on we can't think properly when we're in overthink because we're just not properly online so so when we are in those moments where we are feeling a bit over where we're not online and we're overwhelmed and we're not thinking properly uh are, are, is the is the antidote then to sit and meditate or is it just to sit quietly like what what should people do when they find themselves with racing thoughts. So don't sit, stand, <laughs> walk, breathe. Actually, when we're in that state of, re- it's you know, we can get ourselves in even more of a state when we're like so caught up and then we're like, right, I must sit and meditate. Actually, much better off getting out, doing some walking meditation. Really, one of the most important things you can be doing is feeling your feet on the earth. Thankfully, our feet are furthest from our mind and the monkey mind and the mental chatter that we can get. Actually, if you if you can run, run, but don't run in your head. Really be in the body, be in the feet and be in the breath. So often when we've reached these really stressed states, what we will have been doing is flexing the diaphragm, shooting all of our breath up into this thoracic breathing in the chest. And we might be doing that several times during the day. And with each of those, we get this this shot of stress hormones that starts pumping around the body and then we're in hyperarousal. And what we need to do is change the breath. And if we change 
the breathing, we absolutely know that we can change how we feel. And there are several hacks for that so that we can kick off the relaxation response very, very quickly. But no, don't stand... Sometimes we need to, if we can, and we've got a room, we might need to yell. We might need to let out some of that pent up energy of stress that we've got going on. Because what we're normally doing is we're just pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. And that's why suddenly the tiniest little thing can happen. And then there'll be so much anger. It's because we've built up this, this energy that we do really need to release. So get outside uh makes me sound like an absolute hippie but take your shoes off take your shoes off some people live their entire lives where their feet don't touch the ground and there's this disconnect from reality there's this disconnect from the earth like this is what we came from we were here to feel our feet on the ground and actually the earth emits this resonance this frequency that if we don't connect to we can't sleep that's why so many of us that live in cities are insomniacs and but actually there is powerful medicine in just taking your your shoes off and getting outside and touching the earth and breathing it's why so often people go on holiday and or vacation, you call it. Um, you, you go on vacation and you stand on the beach and it's like, oh my God, this is the best day of my life. Well, it's, you've just taken your shoes off actually and allowed yourself to breathe and allowed yourself to be where you are. Because of that whole vacation mindset, I've paid to be here we suddenly allow ourselves to be there. But how would it be to just allow yourself to be in your everyday life? I love that. It's one of the reasons, you know, not to get too personal, it's one of the reasons why I sleep naked. Uh, because it's so insane to, uh, you know, buy expensive bed sheets or nice bed sheets. And then you put clothes on. Yes, you have this barrier between you and the bedsheets. But also, uh, we both know that oxytocin, which is feel through touch. It's like if you're in a relationship with someone, uh, most people just, you know, get naked to, to have sex or to have intercourse. When really we should be sleeping naked all the time. And, 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 and not just sleeping naked, but, you know, it's like if we don't need to wear a lot of clothes. It's like have as much of your skin exposed. It's possible there's there's something kinetic in the wind going by and and bristling up against your skin. There's something cozy and comforting about feeling the environment and the atmosphere and the wind and nature around you when we're all, you know, sweats are such a big, you know, when I was in college, everybody had on sweats and uh, it just, it really does disconnect you. You look at the body language of people in sweats and they're, they're kind of closed off, shuffling around. Uh, but, you know, people who, have their arms out, you know, think about Michelle Obama, uh, you know, with the arms out and shoulders pull back and, and the confidence and the energy, uh, that charisma that you talked about, you know, that's all part of it. It's all part about, you know, you know, displaying your, your expressing through your body. Um, one of the things that stood out uh, also about what you said is the fact that, you know, our thoughts are in our head, our feelings are in our body. 
And it brings up that idea that we have two ears and one mouth because we should be listening more than talking. And then it made me think like our brain is this small part and our head is, you know, this tiny part, but our body is, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're 75% body and 10 and 25% brain may, you know, might more or less 80, 20 Pareto's whatever. But so we should be feeling more than we should be thinking, you know? Uh, so I, it just brought, I'm, I'm rambling here, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited by all the things <laughs> that you're saying because it's just triggered all these little, boop, 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 uh, little ideas in my head. Well, it's the very heart of mindfulness. I think mindfulness, it's quite confusing as a word because we think that it's something to do with the mind, that it's something cognitive. But actually, it, the mind, I, I describe mindfulness as having our mind full of what we're doing when we're doing it. But more than that, having our body full of what we're doing when we're doing it. And it, in a way, the mind is this access point that we have to this state of fullness and in a way just like ditch the mind out of mindfulness it's it's about fullness how can I fully step into being this human being that I am and for me the former me the suicidally depressed me I was just lost in this daydream world in my mind I wasn't fully living. It was like I was just sleepwalking through my existence. And so for me, I felt that, that actually there was this, this longing to wake up from that daydream, a longing to be fully alive and fully experience the full vibrancy and depth and sensation of living that actually almost... It was helpful for me to be squeezed to that point of being so despairing because from there I had the opportunity to really witness, oh, look at what I'm doing to myself because it was me that was doing the squeezing. And it's like when we recognise all of that contraction and recognise that it's us doing that, there's an opportunity to expand and it is that expanding into feeling the breeze on your skin and looking up and enjoying all of the wonder that it's possible to experience. That's why we're here. We're here to sleep naked. We're here to walk on the beach. We're not here to stress out about stuff and get caught up in overthinking. I, I love that. You know, you know, as you were talking, I was like, should we be calling this bodyfulness instead of mindfulness? You know, uh, because it is about uh, uh, lighting up the body and, and lighting up the all, all parts of us. And, and that's what we're trying to connect to. Uh, I, I think that um, when, when we can I ask you this, when we talk about mindfulness, is that a, a 24-7 thing? Meaning like, can we play sports mindfully? Like, can I, is there like, can I watch like a mindful football game? Is that, is that a thing? Uh, how, yeah. how would that show up? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been lucky to work with lots of sports people. And 
Well, so well for, as we know, if you're going for a shot or if you if your mind is elsewhere, then you are not in flow. You are not in the zone. And actually, it is that fullness of flow of being in the zone that is mindfulness. And so, very naturally, lots of our top athletes are so mindful and they might not call it that of course it's when they step out of the zone it's when they step into their minds that slip-ups happen that that the inner critic steps in to interfere and cause things to go wrong and so we see that so much of of the game is that the psychological game but but it it really is just being able to to be where you are fully and then then there's this, this intuitive sense that comes in with with all kinds of sport and of course when we when we watch something like a sport when we're, when we're a spectator and we're fully in it and we are able to experience the movement of the players and the sensations that are arising in our own body you know that is so mindful and we're so well hopefully we're less stressed I suppose it depends if our team is winning or not but uh, we get to kind of vicariously live through some of that movement and thrill I love that Uh, to go back to what you were talking about with you know, someone who's having racing thoughts, sometimes it's good for them to go for a run if, if, it, if it's so overwhelming. But what, what are the next steps after that? You, you notice my thoughts are racing. I go for a run. Am I done? Or are there like two, three other steps after that that, that we have to uh, address? Well, I feel you and I would probably both be the first to say you need to talk to somebody. You really need to talk to somebody. Don't don't allow what's locked in your head to keep you locked in your head. And actually, as soon as we begin to express, something frees itself. When we can come from this place of truth and honesty, even though that might feel really, really hard, it's there's something really wonderful in in being heard by somebody else being seen by somebody else and of course um the people around you even your your loved ones they might not be the best people for you to be able to speak to freely but there are so many ways of getting help and there are so many of us out there that want to help and Obviously, I'm speaking as a therapist, but there are so many charities. There are so many, you know, pick up the phone, call someone, absolutely express what is going on for you is absolutely key. And really, it's not until you've allowed some of this stuff to be expressed that I would probably say that, you know, then learn, learn a meditation practice, but don't keep what's going on for you bottled up. When you, you know, had the thoughts of being a burden and, you, you know, you start to do some work and you actually talk to someone, I assume you went to therapy. Yeah. What were, what were the things that you were like, oh, I, I can't believe I, I was, I was thinking that I had completely had that all wrong or I had that perception. 
I, for as an example, you know, uh, I'm right now during quarantine, I'm living with my girlfriend. I have a place up in LA, but we were just like, we're going to be together here. And, and I kind of felt like a burden because uh, this was just a sudden, we just started dating and it was so sudden. And I was in my head about like, you know, the space I was taking up and I know she has her routine at home and et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, one day I just talked to her about it and all the things that I was catastrophizing in my head, she like completely was like, no, that like, that's not what's going on at all. And it's not like that. And, you know, I love having you here and, and this is the best thing ever and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I wonder like if you were, if you had those conversations uh, regarding some of the thoughts that you had in terms of, you know, feeling like a burden. I didn't actually, I probably should have, <laughs> but I didn't. I, um, I had some big experiences in, in meditation when I was at the depths of despair. And I wouldn't necessarily suggest that that's the best way to go about things, to wait until you feel absolutely suicidal and then meditate that, you know, probably not the most professional thing to suggest, but personally, for me, I had some experiences of turning into everything that was going on. And for me, really suddenly seeing and experiencing this separation from my thoughts. And it's kind of a hard thing to describe. Like we, we're all aware of the concept, oh, you are not your thoughts, I'm not my thoughts. But what does that actually, what does that actually mean? And when you've got loads of thoughts going around in your head, like you're useless and everything you get off without you and all this kind of stuff. It's easy to buy into that, particularly if you think that that voice is you. But actually thoughts are just thoughts. Thoughts are fluctuations of the mind. We have around 60,000 of those thoughts a day and they are random fluctuations. What gives a thought its power, its prominence is us. It's us, this, this witnessing presence that spots one of those trains getting on board. And we, we get on board, we energize that thought and we turn it into thinking. And if we've never sat back to see that process happening, we, ca we can't really fully know it for ourselves. We might grasp it on an intellectual level, but until we see it, and, and I think for me, I have memory of being in meditation and then suddenly something kind of clicking like, ah, I'm here and my thoughts are there and there's a separation here. And it wasn't like, boom, there I am, I'm suddenly enlightened, everything's better. <laughs> certainly not certainly not it's an ever-evolving situation and I still catch myself you know buying into the thoughts of course I do but it was this shift that meant that over time as I persevered with my practice my relationship to my thoughts changed it shifted completely and now it's like oh god listen to that nonsense and, and it's just like, well, those fluctuations of the mind are a bit weird or wonderful or whatever, but they're just fluctuations of the mind. Thank goodness for that. I am not my thoughts. Thank goodness I'm not my thoughts. It's a relief to, to come to that realisation. 
what do you have a daily routine what, or let's get more specific do you have a morning routine so ordinarily i get up meditate uh, I I drink my I'm I'm very good at drink drinking my lemon water. I'm smoothieing at the moment. I'm actually you may laugh at this. I'm on a mung bean cleanse. Have you ever done a mung bean cleanse? I've never heard of a mung bean. <laughs> Wowza! I will have to send you my Ayurvedic recipe. <laughs> please, please do. I, I actually I love beans. So <gasps> send I I'm, I just soaked some lima beans last night. So. Send on the mung beans. They are fabulous. Uh, but, but life isn't always that cleansed and life isn't always that straightforward. And I have two little people and we just moved house and we're on lockdown. And so I was uh, shocked to hear of your 5 a.m. start because I think I probably got up about half seven, eight o'clock this morning. Um maybe later than that, actually, because I have just moved last week to the middle of the English countryside, a beautiful place called Dorset. And I have never, ever before not lived near a main road. And so we've just ditched alarms. And we're getting more into kind of the natural rhythm of things. And I am just sleeping and sleeping, <laughs> which I think is really, it feels wholesome. It feels like the right thing to be doing right now is just listening to my body, making sure that I don't book in any clients for too early in the morning. <laughs> so that I get an opportunity to reset and meditate before all of that begins. And that feels, it feels really good. I know. It's such a blessing to be able to take time for yourself in the mornings before you go to work, before you have to do anything with the kids, before you have to do anything with the spouse, before you have to send out emails. It's, it's such a blessing. And I think that more people after this quarantine are going to find ways to carve out that time for themselves, especially in the morning. I mean, if you can do it in the morning, midday, and then right before bed, that's great. But, but in the morning, especially, kind of ground yourself and, and feel your feet on the floor. Yeah, I, I, I describe it like, well, actually, I get this from my Zen master. He's always described it like brushing your teeth. You just get, once you get into that habit of meditation, it's just like brushing your teeth. And I always say to my students, I just wouldn't want to go out an unmeditated version of me. It'd be like going out with stinky breath and like breathing on people. <laughs> you don't want the stinky non-meditated version of me for sure. No, I, I know. I, I tell people that all the time. It's, um, what's her name? Jen Kirkman has this joke about uh, how she's at a stoplight and is cursing this guy out. And she's flipping him off and she's yelling out her window and she's chasing him down. And, and at the end, she's like, and I meditated this morning. So just imagine <laughs> what I would have done if I didn't meditate. You got lucky. <laughs> and I think about that sometimes. I'm like, yeah, I'm at an eight now, but I'd be at a 10 
if I didn't meditate <laughs> this morning. So count, count your lucky stars. <laughs> you said you have a Zen master. It, you know, I'm, I love reading. Uh, I, I read uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and uh, Zen and Art of Archery. There are all these books with Zen in the title, like I'm a, I'm a sucker for. Uh, uh, and right now I'm reading Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, Pieces Every Step. And he actually talks about kissing the ground with your feet to feel connected. What, what are some uh, nuggets or insights that you've received from your Zen master? Wow, too too many too many to mention. I feel very spoiled that I've been able to work with a Zen master for the last whatever it is seven years now. Um, we we work on uh, something called Cohen's. Have you come across Cohen's before? Co-am. How are you spelling that? Oh, K-O-A-N. oh, like K O A N. Yeah, right, right. Yes. Yeah, so, which is like a, for want of a word, spiritual question that you work with a question and you keep asking this question uh, and it unlocks the door to, well, to, to knowing the truth of things. And it's been really, yeah, really, really remarkable for the last seven years to be able to work through some of these big questions. So you start with stuff like, who am I? Where am I from? Why am I here? What is this? What is my true nature? What is another? What is the body? We work on these kind of things. And then the, the Cohen's get slightly more obscure. Um, I just, uh, I was very excited to, I got given a new Cohen this week because I passed my last Cohen last week, which was, um, how do you put out a fire on the other side of the mountain? Well, you got to give us the, the, the response to that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm held. The suspension is, oh, my God. It's like uh, watching a telenovela and, and it just cuts to commercial. Well, it's, it's about you being able to, to speak from that place. And so, Leo, I will just have to hand it over to you to work on. Uh, come back to me when you're when you're ready with your answer. <laughs> I, I would I would say my my initial answer would be just to breathe. You know, uh, I because my my thinking would be that um, it's it's that collective breath that uh, would put the fire out. Um, you know, it's kind of like blowing out a candle, right? Like it's a, it's a small, it's a small little fire. So I can do that myself. But uh, if, if I can time my exhales with the universal exhale, then we could put that fire out together. Wow. I think you're pretty close. Should I, should I give you his phone number so you can check <laughs> in with him? <laughs> that is fabulous. So I actually, I got an insight into mine doing some lucid dreaming. Have you ever done any lucid dreaming? You mean like intentionally? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've had lucid dreams, but I haven't like, oh, tonight I'm going to have a lucid dream. But I've, uh, like, I have not done that. Right. Well, that's the next step. 
<laughs> to, for lucid now is so are you are you intentionally having lucid are you like tonight i'm going to have a lucid dream so i do attempt to have lucid dreams particularly when i'm off on retreats however in this instance it was more catching myself in a dream so that's kind of the trick is to always, if there's an opportunity that arises for lucidity, to kind of take it. And so one of the keys is to be aware of anything kind of unusual that gives you this sudden, oh, I'm in a dream sensation. And when as soon as you catch that moment, it's about actually what you said about breathing is really helpful because quite often you'll have that, oh, I'm in a dream. And then you get overexcited and you just wake yourself up or you uh, end up kind of dropping it and then going back into the dream. So it's that little moment of recognition. And if you can start catching yourself and recognizing, then you can say, right, okay, switch this on. I am in control in this dream and then you can start doing things in the dream and so for quite a while I've been working on this but usually I get overexcited and I just go flying flying is my dream thing <laughs> oh that, I love that I'm always in the water I'm always swimming it's always wow. swimming there's always like uh some type of uh sea lions or sharks or there's all types of different fish in the, in, the, in the water with me. Yeah, the last time I had sharks, sea lions, and was it dolphins? Yeah, I think I had dol. It was yeah, I had all three um, in the water, and uh, and I and in a dream, the dolphins to me were more dangerous than the sharks. It was only one shark, but I remember thinking, "Don't be fooled by those dolphins. They get gangster too." <laughs> I remember thinking that. Like I was like, I, I know what the shark does, but but these dolphins are can be a bit more uh uh sinister. Um so yeah, I've had I've had some very this quarantine, I, I call it they call it like quarantine dreams or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I just read somewhere they were saying like if you as you're awake to say I am to keep repeating that I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. That's how you can have more control throughout your dreams. Is yes, that, is that what you're doing or how are you, how are you tapping into your lucid dream? Yeah, it is fabulous. I wanted to swing back to your dolphins because yeah. that's really interesting. So if things come up in the dream that you're frightened of and yet you're lucid, you have an opportunity to... It's almost like shadow work during sleep. You you have an opportunity to actually uh, turn in, as I was talking about earlier with the practice, turning into anything. Actually, instead of swimming away from the scary dolphins, you you swim towards them, and something shifts and, and changes. And we can do really great spiritual work in our dreaming state. And so up until now, I just tend to do a lot of flying, which is rather fabulous, but not a lot else. But actually, on Friday, when I, when I have my fabulous uh, getting my Cohen 
um, I remembered to do my spiritual work. So I was really kind of strict with myself in this dream, sitting down and repeating my koan. And then I had the sensation of standing up and shouting this question out to the universe. And then the universe answered me. So, boom. You have two kids, right? Yeah. How are you teaching your kids about, are they, are they both boys? No, so I have a 10-year-old girl and a 7-year-old boy. Okay. And so how are you teaching them about mindfulness? I, I would imagine that there are some wars being fought, or, or maybe not, because I haven't heard them at all. So you, you, are they, are they <laughs> meditating? Like, where, where? <laughs> well, I, I it, it really made me giggle that during your your talk of, of nudity, my son, he was wearing pants, but he so there's a stream just uh, at, beyond the back of the garden. And I just saw him strutting across the lawn, absolutely soaking from head to toe. So he's clearly been swimming in the stream probably on his own, who knows where his dad is, but he, he seemed really, really pleased with himself and half naked. Uh, so so I'm, I'm not sure I need to teach them mindfulness. I, I think that this is, this is it with kids. We get kind of really obsessed with schooling our children in every aspect of everything. And actually, we were all so mindful when, when we're born, we can't help but be mindful. It's only this kind of learning and overthinking and being told that we need to think all the time and, and not letting ourselves off the hook from thinking that causes this misalignment, both in what's going on in the brain, but actually how we're feeling in our lives. So um, I think they can teach me a lot more about mindfulness than I can teach them. <laughs> I love it. So tell everyone the name of your book and, and like why they should pick it up. Like what, there's so many books on mindfulness and what is it that you, where, where was the gap that you thought could be filled with your book? So it's called You Are Not Your Thoughts, The Secret Magic of Mindfulness. And for me, well, I wrote it for me. I actually wrote it when I was on maternity leave with, Harrison, who's now seven. And I wrote it because, because I was a little afraid of losing my way. I'd had postnatal depression after the birth of my daughter. And I was enjoying this fabulous, mindful pregnancy where I was just loving it and loving life. But there was this bit of fear in me, like, what if I lose my way again? What if the thoughts come at me and I just get wrapped up in them? And so for me, I started writing after a meditation one day just around this key, this key point of not being my thoughts. And actually from there, what were the strands that, that came off? And, and for me, it was like making this little chart so that if I did start to lose my way, I had some of those elements down. And, and I didn't really write it for anyone else. It's quite a short read because actually it wasn't written for anyone else. It was just written for me and when I was at my worst some you know well-meaning people would give me huge tombs of books 
like read this this really helped me and and actually it was just overwhelming when I was really really depressed and so it's just a little book with the key aspects and then some years later I met somebody who on a retreat who'd read some of my blog stuff and said I love your writing do you have anything else and I mentioned that I'd written a book once it was you know god knows where it was and she asked for a copy and I sent her one and she sent it to her friend who was a publisher and then there we are what an incredible story of, of turning your pain into your purpose and you know, one of the things you mentioned is, uh, you know, as you started writing, um, uh, that you created a chart of so that you you had a, a map, a blueprint of what steps to take when you when you're experiencing the depression and the despair and, and the feelings of burden. Can you can you describe and share that chart with us? What what does that flow look like for for people who may be going through the same thing? It begins with this very recognition that I am not my thoughts. It begins with an exercise to step back from thought and recognize where we're coming from. Where am I coming from? I think it's one of the key issues. Where is it that I'm coming from? Because I'm, if I'm coming from the nonsense up here, I'm never going to be happy. <laughs> But actually, there is this subtle hum of happiness that per pervades everything. It, it's, you know, it's, it's in the trees, it's everywhere, yet we can't hear it. We can't hear that subtle hum of happiness when we're drowning it out with the sound of our own voice inside of our heads. And actually, so the chart is about how do I recognise, realise, and then actualize this process of turning the sound down on those thoughts and turning the sound up on the fabulousness that it is to actually be present in the world. I love that. I think you have the title for your next book, uh, The Subtle Hum of Happiness. <laughs> that, I think that's it right there. Uh, and I remember what I was going to say, because you talked about how do we go from our head to our body in that um, emotional eating, uh, because I used to weigh 275 and I struggled with uh, uh, being mindful with what I'm putting in my body. And, um, and in emotional eating, they talk about the difference between mind hunger and body hunger. And if it's mind hunger, then... Uh, that's when you know it's uh, uh, you're just craving something else. You, you have an unmet need, or if it's a, a body hunger, then you know that uh, you're actually hungry. When you hear your, your stomach growling, uh, and it's kind of an empty sensation. But if it's in your in your head and your thoughts and you're fixated, ruminating on on one specific thing, then you know that uh, there's some emotional need that's not being met, or maybe you just need a nap. <laughs> maybe you're tired, maybe you're bored. There, there's so many reasons, but uh, to tune in to like, is this coming from my head or is this coming from my body? And I think if, if we start to uh, break things down, instead of this whole, you know, uh, you know, 10 reasons or uh, the pros and the cons, like that's all, that's all in your head. I think, I think that serves a place is to do that. But then uh, how does it feel overall? And, uh, and 
as we get better at how do we feel about things, uh, we, we start to have a, a more expansive uh, experience. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that I teach is mindful eating. I teach a mindful eating course, uh, which sounds very simple in itself, but but it is. It's about shifting that relationship with where is this hunger coming from? This big, this big question, what is this hunger really about? And we're all so fortunate that we have the most incredible internal guidance system your body I mean you don't need anybody else to tell you what your body needs what your body wants what suits your body because we you know we we all need different nutrients but actually as we start to tune in to the messages that the body gives us we can really shift into the body that we've always wanted by improving the relationship with this perfect body that we already have, no matter what size we are, we've already got the perfect body. We've got all of the tools that we need to live our happiest life if we really tune in to sensation over thought. I love that. Is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like would help people who are struggling with depression, despair, feelings of uh, like feeling of burden or or even feelings of uh, loneliness and isolation right now, like a, a lot of people may be experiencing? Is there anything that that uh, we haven't talked about that you feel like could tap into that? Just know that you are experiencing the human condition. And there are millions of other people right now in this moment who feel exactly as you do. And that doesn't make it all right. It's awful. But you can feel so much more. from For so many people, the breakdown is the point of power. And I am... So delighted that I got to that point where I felt that bad because had I not, I could still be going around in my mildly miserable life, caught up in my thoughts, not expressing my true purpose, not connecting with people on a true level in the way that I do. That might sound really odd to be grateful for being so depressed, but actually, I'm incredibly grateful and I. I get it. I absolutely get it. And it's when you're in it, it's horrendous. But a depression is a pushing down. And actually, we're holding ourselves down. And as we allow ourselves to expand, so much is possible for us. And from where you are now, you will be able to be a much more generous, fantastic, connecting, understanding human being. And I hope for you that you have this glimmer of knowing that that is right and that you will find a way. And get in touch, get in touch with with us, get in touch with people, speak. 
I love it. And then the last question I ask of, of all my guests, because I always feel like there's one person uh, listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Francis? You're not your thoughts. Don't believe it. You are not your thoughts. You are so much bigger and greater than the smallness of thought. And when you see that and you feel your feet on the ground and you breathe, life is here to be lived. And I feel your pain. And also I know that there is joy just beyond it. I love it. Thank you so much, Francis. And and now plug all your things. Where can people find you? Where can they get the book? Where can they work with you? All the things. All the things. So uh, if you just Google me, Francis Trussell, T-R-U-S-S-E-L-L, all sorts of stuff will come up. Mindfullyhappy.com is my uh, is my francis at mindfullyhappy.com is my email uh, mindfullyhappy.com you will get my website and lots of details there Amazon, Barnes & Noble Waterstones, all those good places you can get the book and I love to hear from you also Instagram, I'm mindfullyhappy all those other things Facebook, Twitter uh, YouTube, there's some YouTube stuff. If you want some breathe, a great breathing technique, go on YouTube. Mindfully happy on YouTube too. So, uh, I I love it. Yeah, the, the breathing thing is such a challenge for so many people. Thank you so much, Francis, and thank you, listeners, for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. For you calling the one eight hundred suicide number, there are international numbers that are linked in the show notes. You know, work with Francis, work with her Zen master. Uh, you know, get a house out in a farm. We have to be proactive. It's just a, just take a small step, a baby step. Just brush your teeth. Just sit for two seconds. Just go for a walk around a block. Create space. Find ways to expand the space between you and your thoughts. If you can't go for a run, go for a walk. Can't go for a walk. Just just sit out there on a stoop. Just 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 get outside. Just open the door. Just look at it. Look at some trees or some clouds and and expand your your thinking. You can also go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly, and let's get to tomorrow together.